Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Well, it is a real privilege uh, to get to spend this weekend with your church family and all of the special families who have young people graduating this evening. I, I love your pastor. He and I have known one another for several years, but not been close, and from a distance, he's been a real encouragement to me. Matter of fact, every few weeks, I get a text message from him just out of the blue at the most random times, and it's always on time, and uh, saying, I love you and praying for you. Uh, I want you to know God has given you a wonderful pastor in this church, and I thank the Lord for that. And a great pastor's wife, even the pastor's kids are pretty good. That's good, isn't it? And uh, I thank the Lord for them. This is my first trip to the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. I love being in California and preaching. I hail from the state of West Virginia. Anybody here from West Virginia? I'm just curious to see if there's any fellow mountaineers made it out this far. Anybody been to West Virginia? How many of you know it's a state? Would you raise your hand, please? <clears throat> yeah. So I, I live in the mountains. I was born and raised there. But as an evangelist, I travel every week in different states, different parts of the country. And this is one of my favorite regions to preach in. God has put you in such an amazing place and a needy place. And uh, this community needs the message that this church preaches more than ever. And I'm praying for you. I know you have a rich heritage, but I'm praying for you that the greatest and most fruitful days for this church will be the days between this day and the day Jesus comes, which for the record could be today because any moment our Lord is coming for us and we want to make it count for Christ. How many of you have a Bible with you this morning? Would you wave it at me just a second? Put it up in the air. Let me see if you have a copy of the Word of God. That's wonderful. And I know your pastor is a Bible preacher, and I know you love the Word of God. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, just slide down and get next to somebody that does so that you can follow along this morning because I have nothing to say to you. I have nothing to say to you. But the Lord has a lot to say to all of us. And I learned early on nobody needs my sermons. My outline never changed anybody's life, but the Word of God changes all of us. And I want you to open your copy of the Word of God with me, if you will, in the Psalms this morning, to Psalm 71. I love the Psalms. I really do. And there are famous Psalms. Matter of fact, we're going to come to one of them in the evening meeting today. And one of the most famous and one of the most familiar Psalms in the Bible. But in this hour, I want to draw your attention to a Psalm that I think for some reason is is less familiar to us, and I hope to change that today, and not just in this hour. I hope you'll fall in love with this psalm. Look, nothing in the Bible is there by accident. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. You all believe that here, right? So that means every word in the Word, God has some message for us. And a few days ago, I was reading through the psalms again, not for you, but for me. And I came to Psalm 71, and I can't explain this to you other than to say, the Lord made it come alive to me. Now, I've read it many times, don't know if I've ever preached from it, but when I got to Psalm 71, the light bulb came on. What an amazing psalm it is. Look how it begins. Verse number one, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. How many of you think that's a pretty good place to start? Faith is always the right starting point. Now, go to the last verse. Look how it ends. Verse 24, my tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought into shame that seek my hurt. I love this. He begins with God and he ends with God. Our Lord is Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and end. He's first and last. He's the starting point. He's the ending point. And for believers, he's everything in between. 
He really is the author and the finisher of our faith. Psalm 71 is about God. More personally and more specifically, Psalm 71 is about God connected to my life and connected to your life. Let me read just a little. We'll walk through all of it in a second, but look at verse number 5. The psalmist says, For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Pause just a minute. Can I tell you, this verse is another reminder that life begins with conception. Before you ever were born, before you ever came out of your mother's womb, God knew you. God had a plan and purpose for your life. Powerful. Verse 7, I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. Do you see? Do you see the progression? He takes you from the womb through youth into old age. How many of you have lived long enough to know old age is relative? Yes? Let's take a survey, all right? Let's take a survey. I'm not going to judge you. You judge yourself. How many of you would say you're young? Would you raise your hand, please? All you young people. That's very good. I see some of you young at heart people out there. That's good. How many of you would say you're somewhere in middle age? You're, you're in that, that uh, very nebulous in-between time of life. Would you raise your hand, please? I think I'm there. I'll be 46 this summer. I'm halfway to 90, so I'm somewhere in between. And how many of you, and I say this respectfully, would say that you are nearer to old age? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah. Somebody said, this is the most depressing preacher I've ever heard in my life. Now listen to me with your heart just a minute. Could I remind you of something? That the God of the Bible, the God who made you, and the God you're going to meet someday, the God of Psalm 71 is the God of all. He's the God of youth. He's the God of the in-between time. Only the Lord knows how long that is. He's the God of old age. How's that possible, preacher? Because He is not just the God of time. He's the God of eternity. He's the God of heaven and the God of earth. He's the God of creation and the God of final judgment. He is Literally, the God of all. And please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. He wants to be God of all parts of your life. Every step, every stage, every season, every day. In fact, would you do something? Take your pen, and I want you to mark the last phrase that we read in verse number 8. Would you mark the last three words? Say it with me, church. Ready? All the day. Say it one more time. All the day. Stay with me now. Stay with me. Come down, please, to verse number 15. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation. Read it, please. All the day. For I know not the numbers thereof. And come to the last verse, verse 24. See if you don't find something familiar there again. My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness. Say it, please. All the day. I don't know how it was at your house growing up. At our house, if my mother said it once, we were supposed to listen. All God's mothers say, 
Amen to that. If she said it twice, I was really supposed to listen. You with me on it? If she had to say it three times, it was too late to listen. How many of you understand what I mean by that? I'd cross the great divide. May I say to you that when God repeats himself in Scripture, it is never because he forgot he said it. When God repeats himself, it's because there's something there he doesn't want us to forget that he said. The great emphasis of Psalm 71, watch this please, is that the God who is the God that put you in your mother's womb and the God that formed you and made you fearfully and wonderfully and the God that brought you out of your mother's womb and the God that brought you through childhood and the God that brought you up in youth and the God that is bringing you through this season of your life and the God who holds the issues of death whose times, your times are in his hand, that God, the God of all, wants to be God of every day of your life and not just every day, all parts of that day. Today's a great day. All the graduates in the room and their families, this is a day of celebration, but it's not just graduation day. This is the Lord's day. I like the way you start the service. This is the day the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. But can I just remind you of something? You ready for this? Monday is one of the Lord's days too. It doesn't feel like it, does it? But it is. And I love this. The psalmist is an old man now. He's writing, he's reflecting, he's looking back on his life. I think it is David. I don't know that for certain. I say that because he quotes, this is interesting, I wish I had time to show you. He quotes from at least five or six other psalms, most all of which were written by David. And so it's almost like David gets near the end of his life and he's reflecting on all that God has done for him. He's, he's reflecting on, on that day in the Valley of Elah where God gave him the head of Goliath. He's reflecting on all that the Lord has brought him through, taking him from being a shepherd boy and making him king over God's flock. He, he's thinking even on the failures of his life and the mercy and grace of God. And he's an old man now. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he takes his pen in hand and he starts writing and he says, I'll tell you something. God's been God every day. There were days that I wasn't king, but God was God. There were days that I wasn't right, but God was God. There were days that things weren't good, but God was God because God, say it please, is God of all. Would you say that please? He is God of, I didn't hear you. He's what? God of, one more time. He's God of, tell the person next to you. He is God of, no, 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 no. I want you to preach it to them. Get your preaching finger out. You, you got one. Ladies, this is your chance. Look at that sinner sitting next to you. Point at them and say it with me. Ready? He is God of all. When I'm done preaching, you're not going to remember me, and I'm content with that. And you don't have to remember my outline. But I want you to walk out of this room today remembering something, that the God of the universe, the God of eternity, the God of light, the God of grace and truth is the God of all, and he is worthy of being God of all of our lives. Walk through the psalm with me just a second. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. He's the God of all salvation. <laughs> In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and what? Save me. He's the God of all salvation. Would you look me in the eye for just a moment? If you are saved, and I don't mean saved from a car wreck, saved from cancer. I mean, if you truly are one of the Lord's saved people, saved from sin, 
saved from your own way, saved from this world system, saved from hell. If you're really saved, you are not saved because of who you are. You are saved because of who he is. Now, you're not saved because of what you do. Somebody said, I'm working at it, preacher. Well, you can work at it all your life and die and go straight to hell and be separated from God forever because no sinner can get good enough to get to heaven on their own. Let me tell you how everybody in the world gets saved. Now, Everybody's background's different. Everybody's, everybody's experience is a little different. I get that. But everybody gets saved the same way the psalmist did. They put their trust in the Lord, and the Lord gives that sinner his own righteousness, and they are saved not for their sake, but for God's sake. And there could be somebody listening to me today, and you don't have your sins forgiven. And if at noon today, if at noon today, that's 10 minutes from right now, if at noon today the trumpet sounded and Jesus came, you're not ready to go. If at noon today God called your number, your appointment came and you left this world, you're not ready to meet God. I want you to know that as surely as the psalmist said, Oh Lord, I'm a sinner but I trust your righteousness. Save me. You could pray the exact same thing and the same God that saved him and praise God, the same God that saved me 40 years ago will save you today. Why? Because he is the God of all salvation. That's not all. Look at verse 3 and 4. He's the God of all situations. The psalmist is dealing with some kind of trouble. I don't know what it was. May I just ask, how many of you have problems? Anybody have problems in this room? Man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Look at verse 3. Be thou my strong habitation, wherein do I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. I love this. He said, the same God who saved me from my sins will save me from the enemy. The same God that kept me out of hell is going to keep me right here and now. The same God that saved me for heaven Sunday is going to meet me right where I am today. Aren't you glad that our God is not a past tense God or a future tense God? He's a present tense God. His name is not I was or I will be. His name is I am that I am. That means God is right where you are. He really is, in the words of another psalm, a very present help in time of trouble. I love the wording here. He says, I'm going to continually resort to you. This is the resort that's always open. Aren't you glad for that? Just for interest's sake, did you know the word continually is found three times in this psalm? In verse number 3, I continually resort to him. In verse 6, I continually praise him. And in verse 15, I continually hope in him. Oh, I love this. Look, it doesn't matter what day it is. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or bad day. Up day, down day. In day, out day. It doesn't matter. God is God of every day, and you can run to him at any moment. Have you lived long enough to realize everything changes? Finances change, economies change, governments change, society changes, culture changes, our body changes. Can I get a witness on that? Yes. Our children change. Our oldest daughter just got married in January. Would you please pray for me? I literally prayed for the rapture to come before that day. God did not answer my prayer. My son-in-law got his prayer answered. And I'm watching the kids grow up before my very eyes. I mean i got a 22-year-old daughter and a 20-year-old daughter and now a 16-year-old son driving. Lord, deliver us all. Life's changing. Tammy and I riding down the road the other day and we said to one another, when did we get this old? How did this happen? 
Can I tell you, though, at this juncture of my life, what I'm resting in and rejoicing in and relying on, it is this. In the words of the hymn writer, all may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Aren't you glad in a changing world we have an unchanging Christ? Run to him. By the way, this resort is not a resort you visit on vacation. This is a a resort you live in. Look at it. He said, you're my habitation. Aren't you glad for this? You don't get to just come visit the Lord on Sunday at the church house. You get to live in the Lord every day. Why? Because he's the God of all situations. How about this? If you keep reading, look at verse 5. Would you mark in verse 5? We read it earlier, the word youth. In verse 6, the word womb. So now we're going back to to being an infant, a newborn? Would you come to verse 9 and would you mark the words old age? That's interesting, isn't it? By the way, notice the repetition of these seasons. Come down to verse number 17. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. Same phrase, from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Verse 18, now also. Aren't you glad God's in the now? Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, forsake me not till I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Would you write this down? He is not only the God of all salvation and the God of all situations, but praise God, he's the God of all seasons. Solomon wrote, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Pastor, how many seasons do you all have here? Warm and warmer? That's nice. It's really nice. I have wondered the last couple of days, where is that sunny California they talk about? All these clouds. But So you have the clear season and the cloudy season, right? The part of the world where I live, there are four very distinct seasons. In the mountains, we have a ski resort just outside of our town, and so we get a lot of snow every year. We're at about 3,200 feet, I guess, above sea level, something like that in our, in our little town And so we get a lot of snow. My favorite time of year is the fall of the year, when all the trees change their color. The autumn of the year is is beautiful. And I love the springtime, and I love the summer. But can I tell you what I've discovered about the seasons? You need every one of them. Because every season on earth prepares the earth for the next season. It's interesting. There are going to be seasons that are not your favorite. And there are going to be seasons that you say, this is my favorite. I, I love this season. I wish it'd stay like this forever. But watch this, please. Just like the seasons on earth, the seasons of life are the same thing. But you can't skip a season because in every season, God is working to reveal himself to you, and God is working to get you ready for the next season. Take heart in this. Look, please. The seasons may change, but God does not because he's the God of all seasons. Tonight, we're going to celebrate these young people. How many of you remember when you graduated from high school? Aeons and aeons ago. Do you remember that? Yes. I remember it. I remember when my wife and I got married, Friday the 13th, luckiest Friday the 13th of my life. I remember it 25 years ago. I remember when our baby, Morgan, was born, the firstborn, and we held her in our arms. That changes your life, doesn't it? I'm remembering now these stages of life, these seasons of life. I was driving down the road the other day with our middle daughter. She's 20 now, and she's, she looked over at me, and she said, Boy, Dad, you're getting a lot of gray hair. And I wanted to say in the words of Scripture, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women, you know? <laughs> but it's true. It's coming. It's coming. Pretty soon I'll be where the psalmist was, old and gray-headed. 
Somebody say, that's really sad preaching. That's not sad. Do you understand? It's just a step closer to meeting Jesus. What is the prime of life? I meet people sometimes and they say to me, well, you know, preacher, my best days are behind me. Really? Because I thought for a Christian, the best day you're ever going to live is the day you see Jesus face to face. And if that's the best day you're ever going to live, you ready for this? Your best days are still ahead of you. In fact, eternity is going to be wonderful. Let me tell you the prime of life. You ready? The prime of life is any time in life when God has his rightful place in your life. You say, man, I'd like to back up and do that season over. We don't get a season over. Let me tell you what you can do. You can make the most of this season by giving it to God and believing that God is greater than all. So he is the God of all salvation. He is the God of all situations. He is the God of all seasons. Beginning in verse 10 down to verse 14, he deals with the enemies that speak against him and the adversaries that come against him. And he says this in verse 14, but I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. Would you write this down? He's the God of all sufficiency. Are you tired? We're living in a world of tired people. And I don't mean they just worked too hard this week. I mean they're just mentally worn out with it all. Depression's at an all-time high. Suicide's up 200% from my dad's generation to mine. We're the most drug generation in the history of the world, and everybody's looking for something. Everybody's looking for help, and everybody's looking for hope. And maybe you drug yourself in here today thinking, I don't know if I can live another day. I, I don't know if I can take another step. I don't know. Listen to me. You can't, but God can. Oh, would you just hear me for a moment? God is the all-sufficient God. I am sinful, but he's holy. I am weak, but he is strong. I am ignorant, but he is wise. I am incapable, but he is capable. I am nothing, but he is everything. Look, he is the God of all abundance and all sufficiency. And every need in our life serves for one purpose, to remind us that we need God. In the good providence of God on my flight from the east coast here, I was next to a man, got a chance to talk to him about the Lord, and we were close to the same age, perhaps just a little younger than me, but we got to talk about life, how quickly life goes, and his children growing up, and all that kind of thing, and I said, you know what the Bible says about that? It is a vapor that appears for a little while, and then just vanishes away. It's like the cloud, and it burns off in the afternoon. It's like a little puff of smoke, and suddenly the wind drives it away. That's life. It's, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And after a while, you, you live long enough. Isn't it funny? When you start out, you're so full of idealism and dreams, and you know what to do. You know, when I was young, I had all the answers. You know what I'm talking about. And you live a little while. You get the wind knocked out of you and slapped in the face, and you deal with real life and problems, and everybody's got them. Even the psalmist had his enemies and things coming against him and things working against what God was trying to do in his life. And you feel weaker and weaker and weaker. But could I, could I say something to you this morning? Oh, may the Spirit of the living God etch this on your soul. God is using that in my life to remind me that, look, when I am at my weakest at that moment, I can lean on the Lord. In fact, I love the last phrase of verse 14. He said, more and more. <laughs> you know, sin gives you its best up front, and it's all downhill from there. In fact, the life of sin is a life of less and less. On the ride to church this morning, uh, Evan and I were talking. And by the way, we walked in the back door today. A kind lady in this room somewhere said to him, Hello, young man. And I thought, I remember the day people used to say that to me. 
enjoy that youth while you can. We were, we were driving to church this morning, and I, I saw someone along the ride that you could just tell their life wrecked and ruined by sin. And I thought to myself, boy, we're living in a world of broken people. That's what sin does. You understand, it leads you to a dead end. It leads you to a bunch of nothing. It leads you to vanity and vexation of spirit. It leads you like Solomon to come to the end of your life and say, what was it all for anyhow? But I want to say something to you, and I'm praying today the Lord will make this real in your life. If you look at those areas of your life that are the difficulties and the struggle and stress and strain of it all this way, they are not wedges between you and God. They are prods to drive you to God. It will bring you nearer and nearer to the Lord. Can I tell you what God's up to? I'm going to tell you what God's up to. I'm speaking to a bunch of strangers this morning. I don't know you, but I'm going to tell you what God's up to in this room. He's working to draw every man, every woman, and every young person in this room closer to himself. Abraham Lincoln said in the heat of the Civil War, I have been driven to my knees many times by the realization I have nowhere else to go. Can I tell you that the burden and weight of it all sits on a man, but if it drives you to God, it is a blessing and not a curse. Because he's the God of all. One more. Notice how the psalm ends. Verse 18, Now also when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to every one that is to come. Would you write down somewhere, he's the God of all strength. In fact, that's one of the great themes woven like a golden thread through the psalm. You might want to mark it in verse 3, he's the strong habitation. In verse 7, he's the strong refuge. In verse 9, my strength faileth. In verse 16, I'll go in the strength of the Lord. And in verse 18, I've got to tell the next generation that there's only one that you can lean on and know he's strong all the time, and that is our great God. He is El Elyon. He is not just strong, praise God. He's the strongest strong one. I'll tell you what life does. It reminds you how weak you are. And it reminds you how strong he is. Psalm 39 says, Lord, show me the measure of my days so I'll know how frail I am. <laughs> when was the last time you prayed that? Lord, remind me how weak I am. Nobody prays that. But the psalmist did. By the way, did you know the measure of your days is not how many of them you live, it's what you do with them? My wife's grandmother lived to be 100. Somebody said, that's a long life, preacher. Not really. Not in the great scheme of eternity. It's not, we're all just a speck of dust, a piece of lint on the page of human history. Look, the measure of your days is not how many days you live on the planet. The measure of your days is whether God is the God of all those days or not. If I ask you this morning, would you rather be Methuselah or Enoch? Somebody said, oh, man, I want to be Methuselah, oldest man ever lived 969 years. Not me, buddy. That's the only thing he's known for. I'd like to be a Grandpa Enoch. That's who I'd like to be. He walked with God, and one day he just was not, for God took him. It's not how long you live, it's what you do with the days. Let me end with the oldest psalm in the Bible. I spoke to the young people from it yesterday morning. Would you turn over just a few pages, and I'm done. Look at Psalm 90. Now, this psalm is so old, it wasn't written by David. It was written by Moses. And, and what does Moses have to say to us? Come on, Moses. You're 120. Tell us something. All right? Look at his words in Psalm 90, verse 12. So, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
The average lifespan is 78 years. That means the average number of days the average person in the United States lives is 28,490 days. 28,490. I made a terrible mistake here recently. I sat down in my chair and I figured up how many days I had already lived. I counted in for leap year. I figured out the days. You can do it on your own. Don't do it while I'm preaching. Do it this afternoon, all right? And then I took the average number of days and I subtracted the days I'd already lived. And I got a little discouraged, I got to tell you. Because I realized I passed the halfway point. Like way past it. And I can never get a single one of those days back. Funny thing, you can count how many days you've lived, but you have no, man, no idea how many days you have left. Only God knows that. You know, today could be my last sermon. I intend to get on an airplane tomorrow morning and fly home to be with my family, and I pray to God I get to do that. But someday will be my last. Some meeting will be my last. Some, some moment will be my last. I wonder, is he going to be the God of every day between this day and the day you see him? I got an idea. Let me give you, let me give you $28,490. $28, How many of you would take it? $28,490. You know, the rest of you pious spiritual people, get your hands up. You'd all take it. Somebody said, preacher, that's a lot of money. You think so? <laughs> Come on now, pay your taxes on it first. Pay your tithe even before that. Pay, pay, pay. Then start paying your bills. And after a while, you realize, man, that's not as much money as I thought it was. Funny thing, you get $28,480 or $90, and at the beginning, you're burning through it because you got lots of them. And then you come down, and you got the last little stack of them. And then suddenly, you think, man, that, that went awfully fast. Can I tell you, that's exactly what life is. And the only way to make every day count is to give it to God because God can do more with it than you can. And our psalmist in Psalm 71 said, Lord, if you'd just let me live long enough, I'd like to show the next generation. Can I commend this church on something? The schools you have and the work you're doing to reach children and young people, the, the Bible school that's coming and the teen camp and, and all of the work you're trying to do to bring in boys and girls and get them the gospel and, and the things you're trying to teach them. Listen to me, please. It is not in vain. If you want the next generation to know your Christ, have the same kind of church, have their hope in God, no matter what comes down the line in our nation and world, I'm going to tell you what we need. We need somebody to say, I'm going to make every day count, and I'm going to give to the next generation hope in God. My grandpa was an old-timey mountain preacher from the hills of West Virginia. I have two godly grandfathers. They're both with the Lord now. One of them was a... A Navy man, he was at Pearl Harbor right after the attack, helped with all the cleanup. He was a farmer. We actually live on that farm where he farmed. <laughs> Lots of memories. He was a coal miner. You ever known any coal miners? Tough people. I mean, you go that far under, under earth, I mean, you've got to have something in you. He was crawling through a coal mine one day, and a piece of coal fell, cut half of his ear off. He picked it up, crawled out of the mine, got in the car, drove himself to the hospital, Ended the ear to a nurse and said, sew this back on. And they did. And they didn't clean it out good, and they sewed a little grayish green line of coal dust into his earlobe. It was there to the day he died. And as a boy growing up, I looked at that thing. I wanted one of those lines. I thought, that's a man right there. <laughs> he died when he was almost 90 with his tomato steaks in his hand on his way to the garden. I mean, he was a man's man. My other grandfather, I didn't know him. He started preaching when he was 13. 
Couldn't see over the pulpit, so they built him a little box to stand on so he could see over it. He had an old-timey gospel tent. You don't see much of that anymore, but he'd set up a tent, and he would preach, and they'd have revival meetings. Now, I'm in revival meetings a lot, but they'd have revival meetings that went six and eight weeks at a time. The church I grew up in was started out of one of his tent meetings. He was a fireball preacher. I mean, he had no education, and he had very little couth about him. He was not polished. He was, he was a little blunt. Matter of fact, he got kicked out of a church or two for preaching too hard. He got carried away one day in a church, and he said, Bless God, there's two things no church needs. That's a clock on the wall and a busy-bodied woman, and this church has got both of them. That wasn't a good thing to say at all. He didn't stay in that church very long either, let me tell you. And Grandpa died when he was 57. 57. That's young, isn't it? Getting younger and younger to me all the time. 57. I was preaching in the church not long ago. A fellow came out the back door and he said, did you know your grandfather, your Grandpa Paulie? I said, no, sir, he died right before I was born. I said, did you know him? He started crying. He said, I didn't just know him. He said, he led me to Jesus. He said, son, he said, there was a pond behind the old country church here. And he said, he baptized me in that pond one Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. He said, you know those words you preachers say when you baptize? I said, yes, I know those words. He said, he must have been practicing because he held me under for a long time that day. <laughs> and when Grandpa died, he left three pennies in his pocket. That, that's it. <laughs> now, that was the inheritance. Three pennies. My dad said to all the siblings, don't argue over the inheritance. I'm keeping every bit of it. And he did. In the family Bible, in our home, there are three old pennies taped in the front of that family Bible. It was the three pennies that were in his pocket when he died. Somebody said, you mean to tell me, preacher, that's all he left? Oh, no. No, no, no. No, the lines are falling unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I'm going to tell you what he left. He left a testimony of faith in God. He left confidence in the word and answers to prayer. An example of faithfulness. That's what he left us. I'm testifying now. I'm not preaching. That's what I was handed. That's what I was given. I don't know how long I live. I don't know when I'll meet Jesus. But I know this. If I live to be a very old man and then I die and leave this world, I could care less how big the house was, or knew the car was, or how much money was in the bank. Isn't it funny the older you live how some things mean less and less? i tell you what I want. I want Morgan and Isaac. I want Lauren. I want Grant to love Christ, to know God, and to believe that the God of this book is the God of all, and he deserves to be God of all our days.